recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 103 is recorded live February 16th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and here's some of the articles we're going to have this week. We have uh, diving equipment failure. We have Pacific Committee doing a band on scuba gear, underwater hotel room, and also some more shipwrecks being sunk. And this week, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing pretty good today. Glad to be here again. Yeah. And uh, how, how are we doing with this weather? Isn't this bizarre? Bizarre is putting up mildly, considering I had 20 inches of snow dumped on me in one day. Yeah, you had 20 inches of snow. I was looking to forecast, and we were supposed to be well below zero at night and during the day for about five days straight. And I thought we were going to eke out that potential ice dive if not this weekend the following weekend and guess what happens we have two days of warm weather completely melted everything you can see the grass everywhere now well you can't quite see all the grass in my neighborhood but we had that rain yesterday and i still got snow yeah a little fog this morning to top it all off but and not much and a warm day today really it's yeah. above freezing so not much of an ice diving season so far do you think there's any chance of pulling, picking it back up well, I was talking to Ken, and he was out there more uh, inland than we are. And he said, I can't remember the lake, he said, but they had uh, about 16 shacks out there where ice fishermen were there. Yeah, we, we did have that. It doesn't take a lot of below freezing weather for it to make some ice. Well, you know, the whole time we've been diving in all of January, it was still 32, 33 degrees. Mm-hmm. So we'd had some 20 days, you know, a couple of days or a whole days of 20 degrees. She'd have been really, really solid. So she must have been colder inland, which it normally is. Yeah, they had that. And I also heard a little bit farther north um, towards the middle part of the state, they've had some decent ice. Yeah, here up north an hour and a half from us, they've got 8 to 12 inches in some, some small lakes. And we've got an active chat room tonight. I'd like to thank everybody for coming out. We have our regulars and some new faces. So glad to see you. And uh, go ahead and try and distract us. Uh, I'm good at ignoring the chat room, but I'll try not to ignore everybody too bad. Uh, keep us on track of uh, and keep us true. Uh, we'll go ahead and head right on into the news. The first article, we normally don't cover stuff that is uh, too tragic or depressing, but this one I thought there was something to be learned from it. Uh, and uh, one of the bonuses you get by being in the chat room is we go ahead and paste in the article so you can follow along. This first one was uh, there was a fatality uh, during a dive training done by a public safety department in Virginia. Two pieces of a police scuba diver's equipment failed during a December dive team, uh, dive team training exercise, uh, leading to the drowning death of uh, Officer Specialist Timothy Schlock in Greenbrier Lake, according to findings that were released this Wednesday by the police department. Uh, they, they point out a few things, that there were no boats on the lake to help with uh, the... Uh, trying to see what they're saying. They're saying, talk about the boat. The death was ruled an accident due to drowning. Uh, he was a 41-year-old father, one and 16-year department veteran. 
he also had a large heart, which contributed to his death. Um, they're saying the trouble began at the beginning of the dive when a piece of a gear fell off. Uh, his buoyancy compensator, the inflator, uh, the button came off and malfunctioned. He was able to uh, manually deflate and manually inflate, which it, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem kind of odd to you, Mac, that you could manually if the button came off? Well, depending on where it uh, was at, and the button could have been the inflate, whereas the other one, the manual button, is different. Yeah. If you hold it down, then you can actually breathe into it. So so maybe he couldn't deflate, like he could inflate with the, uh, the, the button, and then maybe he was deflating with another dump valve somehow? Well, I went through the, the rest of that and looked at it, and they were talking about when he went down, his buddy noticed that he couldn't fill up his BC, and they tried to fill it, but it didn't seem to want to inflate, which mm-hmm. would indicate to me that if you did it manually, where it connects into your upper shoulder. Remember when mine broke um, last year? Dad yeah. never knew it was broken until I pulled it up and realized that it was cut. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh... Any area you put in came out the top. Yeah. So even manually or mechanically, it ain't going to work. Yeah. So they so had that. And the second part, did you read that? That yeah. he tried to get rid of his weights. And it sounded like he had that, like the Zeagle, where you have the pull mm-hmm. cord and can disconnect them. That didn't work. And then later in the review, they said, I think it was 12 other guys out there, they did a check of all the other ones. Theirs didn't work either. Yeah, they didn't have a single BC out of the whole department that functioned properly for ditching weights. For for getting rid of it. And it's like, obviously, they routed them wrong. And the equipment he was using was only three years old. The equipment they said the department was using was eight years old. So I'm not sure of the discrepancy. So then he says it's the age, the wear, lack of, lack of proper maintenance caused the power inflator to fail. Didn't say anything about the weight. And the heart aspect, if anything, was supplemental because if you go out, and he said he went down for 17 minutes, his buddy brought him back up because he could inflate his vest, and he said he was out of air, even though his uh, indicator said he had air. So it's quite interesting, and there's a lot of unanswered questions I would have if I were part of the uh, investigation team. Yeah, there's a lot of mistakes that happen there, which is why you do training, but this is a tragic way of of learning a lesson is to have all these things happen. Well, it's it's sort of interesting. Uh, This month's newsletter I just put out, uh, there's an article in there I I put in, and it's uh, on on a sense. You know, if you come up too fast, you're going to have an issue. And then it talked about the items that can lead to having a problem. Mm -hmm. And specifically identified as your BC not being able to inflate or not take air. And the second one was your weight. Yeah. And I, it's sort of funny. Here's the newsletter. We get in this first item of the day talking exactly about what we were identifying in the newsletter. Yeah. And there's so many things and we're, we're not going to we're not criti- here to criticize the department and what they're doing. This is something that we can learn from this, which is make sure we're maintaining our gear. And then, uh, you know, just just understand, you know, there's no shame in calling a dive. You know, at that that point, we have some mechanical failure. It's it's better not to continue pushing on. There, there's no need to push on. Uh, they were doing training, so it wasn't an actual life or death situation. They weren't saving somebody's life, so it would have been prudent to come in and uh, uh, check out what was wrong with that gear. Yeah, and that's the, maybe another item that we have to be cautious of. Uh, occasionally we have dove when we know we have a, um, a malfunction or a potentially item that's not working. Mm-hmm. We have all dove with, I know I have, with my BC not functioning. 
because for whatever reason, I blew an O-ring, the connector wouldn't work, or I had a, a leaking valve. But the dive was done with that as an understanding that here's you got your one big strike. Mm-hmm. You don't go into an environment that you need that to do your dive safely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If I'm if I'm operating in 15 foot of water, I don't need my BC as much as if I were using it in 60 feet. But I would darn well make sure my uh, weight device would function that I could get rid of whatever weights I had. Yeah. And and this just shows how you know it's usually not one thing that does it, but it's compounding. And you know, you know, for one thing, I was thinking about this is you know it looked like he was having problems. His BC deflated. He was struggling with getting his weights off. You got stress, which you know can contribute to the heart failure. But you know, could he have been overweighted a little bit? Well, he he must have been because the last part was when the surfaced, the guy moved his face mask, told his partner that he was out of air, even though his tank had air, which sounded to me like he was having respiratory issues. Mm-hmm. His he was his partner had his BC up and was towing him in when he pushed him away because he said uh, he he wasn't able to breathe too much. He had too much of a grip on him, and when he let him go, he just went straight down. That told me he was overweighted for sure. Oh wow, yeah. So, uh, you know, an- another good reason to be supporting Dan because Dan goes and looks at these sort of accidents and and helps us get better as divers collectively. And well, again, gear maintenance. Gear maintenance. It's that time of year. If you're if you're planning on doing if you haven't been diving all winter and you want to get some diving this spring, now's the time to get it into your dive shops, get that stuff taken care of. Yeah, and, and don't see I'd like to know the conditions of the water, their depth, daytime dive. There's so many variables I'd I'd be curious about, but I also wonder what would I have done had I had just my BC not working. I'd like to know in the other dive configurations to see if I would have made a smart move and said that's enough. Yeah. Well, you have to think that he had multiple other problems going on because, you know, even though that it's an integrated weights and you're going to ditch the weights, wouldn't at some point in time you get out of your BC? Yeah. I, if I was too heavy, then you just yeah. do undo your buckles and shuck the whole gear. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's, there's more to be learned from it. They haven't, they haven't complete, completed the study, and hopefully they have the opportunity to do that. Well, uh, I hope we keep it. A record of this one. I'd like to check back and see what this is and what their final uh, resolution is. Lessons learned. I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistake. Yeah, certainly. Exactly. That's what we want to do. And speaking of dive shops, we have Scuba Shack is rated number one dive shop in the U.S. Uh, the Scuba Diving Magazine is they've been rating uh, shops a hundred uh, dive around the world competition, and the Scuba Shack in Kahia is number one dive shop in the U.S. So I'd like to I'd like to see what that shop looks like. I'd like to see what that 700 uh, horsepower jet boat looks like. Yeah, it says he and the crews conduct tours off the coast of Maui in a 700 horsepower jet boat. Yeah, that that that'd be a little nice boat for buzzing around. Well, yeah, they don't have to watch out for icebergs and little things like that. No, I, I think it's probably been a few years since Hawaii's had to be concerned with icebergs. And then the next one up on the list. Is in the UK, we've got the uh, one of the local dive clubs there is going to take part in a Diamond Jubilee Flotilla in London. Members of the, I'm going to say, Leicester, Leicester, largest scuba shop, take place in the Diamond Jubilee Float in London. The club will represent divers from across Britain in a floating pageant, which takes place on the River Thames in Sunday, June 3rd. The club's rigid inflatable boat, the Vixen, 
will join 1,000 vessels in the flotilla which have been led by the royal barge carrying the queen and other members of the royal family. I was overwhelmed when I found out that we had been accepted. It looks like a lot of the European people use the inflatables like the Zodiac. Looking at the one in the background, that's a rather large one. Yeah, and that's that's. Did they say it was a rigid hull inflatable? Because that looks a little bit like what the uh, sheriff's department auxiliary was using, where they were. It it's got bumpers, but it's it's more of a a, a rigid boat. Yeah, you can see the hull underneath of it. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. And it looks like he's got a shot line there, marker buoy, and then he got the rail in the back. It looks like a very nice boat. Yeah, and he got some buoys with him as well. So, yeah, we could have that. I've noticed one thing over there is that a lot of the dive clubs have their own boats. If you want to get out and do a lot of work, they're going to have to have it. I mean, if you're really going to do charters and you spend that money on a boat, you're going to get your money back. Yeah. But also, that's, I, that's the deal. You have to get out there and use it. Yeah. Also, I think that uh, boat ownership might be out of the realm of many individuals in some of the European countries. So it makes sense to combine funds and come up with a, a common vessel. Yeah, and, and next, must have some good membership in that club, too. Yeah, yeah. And the next one up is SPC is encouraging Pacific communities to ban scuba gear when harvesting sea cucumbers. The Secretary of Pacific Community says a series of new information sheets included a plea for island communities to ban scuba gear when harvesting sea cucumbers. The 16 sheets are funded by the European Union and are des- designed to help community groups and NGOs to better protect and manage their coastal fisheries in the face of climate change and population growth. Uh, the high demand from Asian markets for sea cucumbers putting pressure on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they're generally slow growing, quite vulnerable because they sit on the seabeds. Now some country county countries fishermen are using scuba. They use scuba gear to harvest these vulnerable animals. So our advice is that they want to protect the species and ensure sustainability to prohibit the use of scuba gear to harvest sea cucumbers. It uh, seems like instead of that, they could just put a limit. I think so. I think probably some of the challenges of uh, some of these islands, and, I, and I'm not sure. is this. It's from New Zealand, so I don't know if it's actually New Zealand or if it's uh, maybe some indigenous islands in the area. But yeah, uh, it, it might be just a matter of how do you, you know, like we see it with the king crab where they got real strict limits, but then it's a very short window when they're letting them bring them in and then they can control the harvest across the whole area. Yeah. If you've got a season, which is potentially all year, uh, you know, one way would be to see, make it a season. So you only had a certain number of season, kind of like what Florida does with their lobsters. Yep. So, you know, all for the sustainability. And then in Cape Cod, they've had dolphin strandings that have been keeping rescue workers working overtime. But you're having trouble having that one come up, aren't you? I do for all the, articles recently there everybody's putting in so many ads and videos and everything it's hard to get around them uh, yeah, but, it took a while for this to load yeah marine wildlife experts are at a loss to explain this winter's unprecedented mass strandings of dolphins on massachusetts cape cod volunteers uh, helped refloat more than 10 dolphins they were found in muddy area commonly known as the gut near herring ridge in the town of wellfleet the 11th dolphin died. On Monday, volunteers had rescuers of three other dolphins in the same vicinity, cared for them several hours, successfully released them back into open water and born 52 miles away in an effort chronicled in the video in this article that we've got. So you can always head over to our website, scubaobsessed.com, click on the show notes, and you're going to be able to see the video from this article. Um, those releases bring to 177 the total number of dolphins that have been stranded since January 12th of this year. 
more than 100 have died. Strandings during this time of year are not unusual in the shore of Cape Cod, but the magnitude uh, is a little unprecedented. The I largest... was reading another article on something similar to that, and some people are wondering the polar shifts, the electronic polar shift that we appear to be having, uh, appears to be, for some reason, shifting really weird mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of migratory birds, their pattern has shifted because they seem to be taking their their directions from the environment, which is getting sort of screwed up from either those massive sunspots we've been having lately mm-hmm. to the polar shift, which we know is shifting. But it's, it's sort of weird. But they think part of that may be the reason this is happening. Yeah, we we certainly have a lot more we need to learn about how uh, you know animals navigate. You know, is it is it you know magnetic? Is it uh, you know, currents, you know, what are they sensing in the environment that helps them get their patterns? So, but yeah, it does, there has to be some sort of reason for a trend when you have something happen in that large quantities, something's up. And then here, Mac, here, here's one I, I thought would be interesting to uh, stay in underwater hotel room. Getting out half the fun. Yeah. This, this one is, uh, in Scandinavia. What was it? Sweden. It's called the Utter Inn. And to me, it looks just a little bit bigger than a smokehouse on a <laughs> floating deck. Looks like a three uh, a three stool uh, outhouse. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. That was my first instinct, but I, I went with the other. Uh, but I love the I love the window they have in the bottom. So what it appears that you do is you go inside, climb down, and there's two twin beds, and they have a large picture window that looks into the water. Which, from the image, uh, it looks to be pretty algae encrusted. So. Uh, that yeah, could be any lake we've got. <laughs> I was going to say, the visibility didn't look that great, did it? No. Because <laughs> I'm looking at, and you can almost see the reflection of something in the background there. Yeah, it I think. Yeah. like that's the ladder that came down. Yeah, I think that must be the ladder from inside the room. But it would be interesting. I bet that's cold water even in the summer. Yeah. And it, they didn't say if that's moored or not. That's got to be moored. But I was looking at it, and what I noticed is they don't show any boat tied up to it. Oh, you see the boat on the back? Oh, is, is that what it is? Yeah, third picture on the back is the inflatable. Oh, yeah, it's an inflatable, so you must have to paddle out or in. And then you can see the uh, by the sides here, look like two funnels on one side. I'm looking to the back side. There's another funnel. So that's got to be your air vents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that but, makes uh, sense. You get any kind of wave action, that's going to be interesting there. Well, I'm just thinking of boats. I mean, in the background, you can see a bunch of sailboats. Do they have motorboats on this uh, on this lake? That could be. I mean, you could you could have all sorts of interesting things you could do with motorboats. Well, you know, you don't have a lot of freeboard there, and if you had a really rough action, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the the tower or the tunnel they go in. It doesn't have a hatch on it. No. <laughs> I, I sort of hate to be down there and have water start coming over and yeah. flood me out. Yeah, that wouldn't be too good. It'd be exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking also, you know, if you had, you know, they didn't show where the bathroom is. No. Did you see the other picture where they got more than one window though? Oh, do they have more than one window? Yeah, I was looking. I've just hit the column to the right, and oh yeah, there is. Yeah, now I I saw the one where it shows the uh, little table there with the lamp on it. Yep. Yeah, I'm also thinking, you know, if you want to head down to the gift shop, that's a that's quite a trek. But room service gets kind of expensive. I do wonder where the bathroom is now that you say that. <laughs> or is it or is it like natural? Ah, <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> you don't want to see any brown trout going by the window. Okay, uh, it's, that's gone. <laughs> and next up, speaking underwater, we have uh, an underwater Greek city is mapped in three dimensions. Oh, in the chat room, they want a, the hotel room again. Post that in there. 
on that 3D, I wish I'd uh, go and tell them what kind of depth they were talking about here. Yeah, and and they, it seems like they could have shown a little bit better 3D image of it. I mean, uh, doc, depth 3D image is a lot better than what I'm looking at here. Exactly, though the one that we've been playing around with, I would take our 3D image over this one. But uh, uh, this, this is a team from the University of Sydney, Facility of Engineering and Information Technologies of one top honors in a Canon Australia's extreme imaging competition for their effort to mapping and mapping and digital reconstruction of an ancient underwater city in Greece. Uh, Ariel Friedman, an engineering PhD student co-supervised by uh, Professor Williams and Dr. Pizzario of the University of Australia Center for Field Robotics, won the prize for documenting excavations and, oh, here we go again, Pal- Pavlov Pri? pre? I, we need somebody who speaks Latin, in 3D. Uh, they used marine robotics to survey the site. It's the oldest known submerged city, which lies off the coast of Greece in the southern uh, Lacionia region. There are four meters of water, covers artifacts and structures dating back 5,000 years. That's not too deep. No. <laughs> now that I look at that, that looks like a mechanical or a metal square because it looks like on one side you got an eyelet and the line goes out like they just place it and that's how they pick it back up. Mm-hmm. And the only clear area you can see is within that square, which isn't any big deal as far as I can determine. No, I'm not sure what they were doing. There's There's got to be something a little bit more technical to it. Now that would almost that might be tough, but I think you could you could still drag a side scan sonar, couldn't you? Oh, in twelve feet or twelve meters, absolutely. Yeah. You get it, good shots even with the hummingbird. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but interesting. I, I I like to see those type of those type of articles. Okay, let's see what we got next. Cave diving. Cave diving. Okay, this one is uh this one's from our uh going to be at our world underwater an announcement, which I'm kind of curious when they pre-announce an announcement. This one is a new cave certification is going to be presented at Our World Underwater uh, from the National Association of Scuba Educators, NASE. Uh, they developed the competency-based philosophy training will enable NASE cave divers to safely explore the inner world. Uh, recent moves that depict caves and showing prom- promoting exploration of inner worlds have increased the awareness and provided a window of visibility in this exciting part of cave diving. So they're saying that cave diving has seen some extreme growth and they want to take advantage of it. Our program is a no-nonsense approach to teaching the fundamentals of safe cave diving. You always get that fundamentals, which to me sounds like a basic course. Yeah, but why am I not familiar with NASE? Um, We're not really into caving up here. It's sort of funny again. uh, Last night, Sharon said, come look at the guys underwater. So I come boogieing in there. Uh, these are extreme, extreme cave divers in Florida. Uh-huh. Uh, they're down 400 feet on rebreathers, and they're bringing up uh, parts of stalactites and slagmites. These caves were originally dry. That yeah. tells you how far the water level has come up and how far the level goes down. Mm-hmm. And um, they were cutting these out, bringing them back up to the surface, trying to determine when they had uh, filled up with water. Because, again, you're talking 14,000 years is what they figure that had been flooded. So as they cut them, they were actually being able to tell you the timeline for that cave of how many times it's been flooded over the last thousands upon thousands of years. And they're saying right now, one one of the items they found when they cut these lactites apart were they found a layer of iron oxide. Now, to find a layer of iron oxide on a stalactite 
would have to mean that the surface of the area was totally covered by that particulate for the water to go through it, leach it out, and then deposit it in a layer big enough to see. You know, like when you cut a tree, you got the rings. Yeah. And you can determine items, the growth pattern. The They actually said you can do temperature, how long the season was just by the lines and how wide they were. Well, they can do this with the stalactites. And where that came from, meaning the, the rust or the iron oxide, believe it or not, is from the Sahara Desert. And really? then they said this was interesting because that shows that at one period in time, uh, and they also got into this about the uh, cyclet of the uh, poles changing, which mm-hmm. has happened before. They just didn't know how long it took. Some people thought it might have been over 200, 300 years. This one version says within 50 years, they had this change of the climates, meaning in, in a person's lifetime. Yeah. And the reason that oxide that came from the Sahara, they had a huge drought for many years. The sand would blow, the dust would get in the air, it would cross the oceans and come down in this part, meaning around the Bahamas, uh, the Caribbean area in Florida deposit itself and this is what they're looking at and they associated that right now is we're in a 30-year drought cycle in Africa or in the Sahara area right now so you're actually replicating what they were finding from thousands of years ago it's really interesting their timelines are a little bit scary yeah but uh it it took these especially guys as this really in-depth deep diving cave divers to go find that kind of stuff for them yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I could I could watch those type of programs all the time. But I keep thinking, what if the freaking light goes out? Because what you see is there's somebody down there off to your side with a huge light making it look really pretty. <laughs> but down there, when that light goes click, and it's like, oh, shoot, where's that line at? Yes. It ceases to be as much fun. Well, that's part of the reason back on the cave dive training, while you have that, that training, that uh, NASE is out of Florida, uh, Jacksonville. So, you know, right there in cave country. So that must be one of the associations that does the cave diver training programs. It was like, it was really good that they were talking about the degree uh, when they get their gear together, their 100 item checkoff list before they even take the gear, go from point A to point B. Um, all their, their extra gases they have to take with them, uh, you know, how they determine their mixes, uh, maintenance of their equipment, which is like number one. It, it's, mm-hmm. it was really good. Yeah. It it's, just, paint, it's not cheap and it's not for somebody who's going to get claustrophobic. No, no, I'm, I wouldn't mind doing some cave diving, but I'm not, you're not going to see me be the guy who takes all my gear off and slips through some little tiny hole and then goes on to the next section. That's, that's beyond what I'm interested in doing. Plus I'm, I'm not going to be the one who has 10 stages of tanks and you're using uh, power assisted vehicles to get into the deep part of the caves. Now nah, somebody else can do that. I'll, I'll be the I'll be there with the camera support. taking a picture as you go through that hole. Yeah. Right past the sign that say, if you do not have training, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And then another spot down there in Florida, they're getting ready to do the sink another shipwreck. Well, it's really not a shipwreck until they sink it, is it? Yeah, I guess you're, you're right. You, know, you can't, you can't. Well, I guess you could sink a shipwreck. You could raise it and then sink it again, but that's not the case here. A World War II ship will soon be 100 feet below the Gulf near Fort Myer Beach. On Tuesday, Lee County commissioners voted to move forward with a plan to turn the 165-foot USS Mohawk into an underwater reef. Lee County scuba shops hope the sunken ship will increase scuba tourism in southwest Florida. 
That's pretty neat. Did, I'm, I was looking at the picture, but I really couldn't tell what kind of vessel that was. If you click on the photo, it will zoom in. I did, but it sure looks like a lot of stuff crammed into 165 feet. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look a, at, I'd like to have the little boat in the middle. It's a little tight there. Yeah, they got a couple of cannons on that sucker. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I bet they took all that neat stuff off, you think? Well, certainly. They're going to make it safe so you can go through an 165-foot vessel. It's going to be like three big holes, wouldn't you say? I don't know. Leave the cannon on. I mean, I'm not going to get trapped in a cannon. <laughs> well, you might shove somebody else in it, but we're not going to get stuck in it. Yeah, that's nice. We yeah. can do with one of those off of uh, St. Joe. Yeah, that. Now, that's what I was thinking. I'm going, that's about the right size. That or that up to and 300 depth. feet. And the depth. Good oh, depth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, certainly. So uh, that just that just brings me to the idea that if anybody sees a vessel in the Great Lakes that they think would be great to sink, let us know. I'd love to get something like that started. Now, the environmental aspects of cleaning it up, though. You know what? I, I would go and get the, the training and the certification. I'd even hoodwink my dad, and uh, you know, he's got experience with asbestos abatement. So, you know. And that really is not a major deal as far as I'm concerned. It's just where do you get rid of it? Because somebody ain't going to let you put it in their dump for free. No. No. So if you had free workers like us, you still got some cost. Yep, there's some cost. So that does it for the news. I say that slowly. It just seems like we, we got out of it. And then we did have uh, kind of a, a Florida theme. We had somebody from the Google Plus page, uh, and Andreas, he says he just moved back to Tampa, Florida. He's looking for a good pat, local paddy dive center in a general area to continue his diving education and to go diving while not escaping to Key West or the likes. Any suggestions or comment would be greatly appreciated. So uh, if you know of any good spots in the uh, Tampa, Florida area for paddy dive centers, let us know, and we'll go ahead and post it on our Google Plus page and Facebook and Twitter and all that and let them know. So I'm going to be heading down that way here in a few weeks. Maybe I'll see what I can find. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Schultz is either down there this week or is going to be there this week. Really? Yep. He uh, he's, he'll miss the meeting next week, and then I think he said he'd be back like the 29th or something. Wow, it seems like everybody's down there. We got Dave. We got Dave's down there now, and yeah, he's down there permanent though. He, and he and that was like overnight. Just about. At least we got a backyard to camp in now. Well, yeah. let me rephrase that. I don't know if he's in an apartment or a house. Uh, he hasn't got. He's uh, his. He's him and his wife are staying with his daughter. They she is renting, and they're renting a house from somebody that they knew. I don't know if it's a house that they owned or if it was the same house that friends had rented. But then uh, him and his wife are going to start looking for a place as soon as they get settled in. And but uh, one way or another, we're gonna we'll we have a place to crash. The only way to avoid it is don't tell us where you moved to. <laughs> well, if they had a parking lot, we could sleep in our car in the parking lot. But, it, you know, it's so warm down there in those southern states. Do you even need a house? Can't you just, like, sleep anywhere? <laughs> uh, probably not. I think they call them homeless people. Oh. <laughs> well, we could be homeless divers. but Yeah, scuba divers. We'll dive for food. I'm sure there's well, something we can do. Can do that, but they'd probably want us to have a fishing license. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I, okay. I, I wasn't thinking diving to get food. I was thinking diving for food. I mean, every, there, there has to be plenty of diving work. Okay. So we finished off the news. We finished off that. Boy, chat room. Great. Great seeing everybody in the chat room tonight. Doing real well there. 
head on over to our Facebook page. Give us a like. We love to see that. And also, if you have any comments, anything you want to see us talk about in the show, we've got some guests I've been working on getting lined up, and they haven't quite all. What, what's going to happen, Mac? Because we're going to have a nine-hour episode coming up here because all the guests I've been emailing are all going to come on the show all at one time. We've got <laughs> new divers. We have perspective, perspective dive masters who want to come on the show. We have uh, politicians since it's political season. Politicians? Yeah, we got politicians we're we're lining up. So can you mention any names there? I'm curious. Uh, not not yet. Well, as as we get closer, don't want to scare them away yet. But uh, as as we get closer, we'll have some uh, some come on the show. Well, if you'd like, I'll talk to Mister You unless you have, you've already talked to him. No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to have him have him come on as well. So. So we got that. Uh, so I was going to say we're going to talk about last week's dive, but my gosh, we've had a kind of a uninspiring week of diving. I didn't. I definitely didn't get any diving in. Did you? Nope. I spent last weekend at the motorcycle one in Chicago, and again, like we said, this weekend is going to be our world underwater on Saturday. So we are going to make a good shot at that. We'll try to take a lot of good pictures, at least. Uh, post those on the uh, site so we can say, well, if they were there doing something water-related. Yeah, if you're in the Chicago area, we have, uh, Our World Underwater, one of the oldest dive shows in the United States, and that will be uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, and what is that location again? It's, it's really right there by the airport. Yeah. Uh, the best thing is just go ahead and Google the site and then mm-hmm. get there. That way you can see the itinerary and see all the different dates, the rates they're going to have. Probably the key item on there, if you do go, make sure you take your Dan card because that's worth uh, $5 off on admission. Certainly. That's a good one. And and it's a great show. It, I I didn't do it last year, and I darn it, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it this year. Now, you, the Mud Club has two groups of vehicles going on Saturday, which I can't make my daughter's uh, final swim team meet of the year. But Sunday might be in if I can get somebody to go. I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not going to go run on my own, but... We'll see what happens. And then last week we were supposed to, we were talking about actually getting out in Lake Michigan. Uh, yep, it turned out to be a bit cold. That wasn't the real issue, but we had four footers, yeah. and uh, an inflatable and four footers with a bunch of divers is not always fun. No, that's one where you you wear the gear out and then you just. Of course, getting in the boat, I I, I actually do enjoy getting in the boat with uh, waves like that. Well, again, don't forget, now, uh, the, the next weekend we won't be diving probably because the 25th, that's the Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you got some good other items to get do, some good quality diving-related activities if you don't want to get wet. Yeah. So, uh, again, we talked about the beginning of the show, get your gear maintenance. It's time to get your BCs checked out, your hydros done on your tanks. Uh, if you're within, you know, if you're, I would say if your date isn't, till the end of summer then you could wait then but if it's you know if it's due to be done for a hydro not a hydro but even in a visual inspection in may or june just get it done now and get it over with that way you don't have to sit there and potentially miss a dive because you don't have it have it ready yeah if it's a real busy place even a vip but vips usually don't take long you can get yours done probably the same day but hydros around here you're talking at least seven ten days I don't know what the chat room's doing, but there's a lot of talk about naked ladies. Uh, I think I'm going to look there. How come we don't have video of the chat room? That's what we need. Yeah, that's, that, that looks a little bit more interesting than what we're talking about. But, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, again, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at scubaobsessed.com. 
I'm doing some changing around uh, on some of our uh, digital assets, so look for some changes going on there. Also, if you got Google Currents, uh, what Google Currents is is they're the Google's mobile publishing platform. So if you got an iPad, an iPhone, an Android tablet, download Google Currents and subscribe to the Scuba Obsessed feed. Uh, we've got some interesting articles on there. Um, I'm making some changes to, to feed the content that way. Uh, you can like us on Google Plus or a plus us, I guess, is what we say over there. And then also make sure if you're enjoying this program, you go ahead and listen to Diver Sync. Rich Senewick of uh, the Scuba Shop Divers Incorporated and also the proprietor of White Star Quarry. Uh, he's got a show, Diver Sync, and he's on normally on Tuesdays, but watch his website, uh, Diver Sync, D-I-V-E-R-S-Y-N-C.com, Diver Sync. So go ahead and say, drop by the chat room and tell Rich we said hi. So I think we're getting to that time of the show. Unless somebody in the chat room has something that they that they think we should cover, we're going to go ahead and wind it on down. We also love those five-star reviews on iTunes and also subscribe via TalkShoe, TalkShoe.com. We are a show, 73759. You can get in the chat room. If you're, miss, if you're not in the chat room, you're missing out because they're having a blast in there. Too bad we couldn't have a virtual bar. Some way of serving drinks. I think that would even be better. <laughs> I'll take mine without water, please. Without, yeah, hold the water. Hold the ice. I think they call that shots. Uh, I've heard the ones jello shots. Jello, those are good. Yeah. I love those. So I think we're to that time of the show. Okay, I'm bracing. Is it, is it something I already know about, or is that this brand new? Now, last week's were pretty decent, by the way. Yeah, no, this this one's a brand new, and what's happening is I'm I'm finding about three good jokes for every week now, so I've got this list all built up. I'm just trying to make sure I delete the ones that we've already told, because... Oh, wait, wait a minute. I, I've got a question for you here. Yeah? You said you've got three good ones a week? Well, they're they're good, bad ones. I mean, they're not... Okay, there, I, I just want to clarify that. No, I mean, they're, they're, they're ones that weren't so good that they couldn't be bad, so... That's what I meant when I said good ones. All right. I'm ones ready. that made the, the criteria to fit in the scuba joke of the week. Well, last week's was good. I think they, that was what, Tara? Who, who was it? The, the lady one? Tara, Tara went and to, told Tara. us one one week. Yep. I, I Actually, I think that was number one. Yours last week was probably number two. <laughs> okay. We'll take that for what it is. While driving down a steep and curvy logging road, a group of scuba divers lost control of their four-wheel drive jimmy and careened down the hill. The truck piles up the bottom of the canyon and everyone aboard perishes. Surprisingly, they all go to heaven. At orientation, they're asked, when you are in your casket and your friends and family are mourning about your death, what would you like to hear them say about you? The first guy, a well-known cave diver, says, I would like to hear him say that was one of the greatest cave divers of my time and left an eternal contribution to cave diving world. The second, di second guy, a wreck diver, says, I'd like to hear I was a wonderful diver and made a huge difference in the recovery of our sunken treasures. The last guy, a scruffy muck diver, replies, I would like to hear him say, look, he's moving. <laughs> uh, that's good, too. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.
Uh, Call recording has been completed. Now that, that moving is, is good in one aspect if they did it before the uh, cutting others. Otherwise, you're going to have zombie time. <laughs> Zombies. <laughs> zombie divers. <laughs>